0: Welcome to the Dakota Town Hall Podcast, a political podcast platform based in Western South Dakota. Over the coming episodes, you'll hear from candidates and the issues that affect you in the upcoming 2020 election. Welcome back to the Dakota Town Hall Podcast here at Home Slice Media Group. Uh, it's also brought to you by Elevate Rapid City. And today we have Mr. George Nelson in with us uh, running in District 34. Um, so you, this is not your first time Running for this seat, what? how many?
1: Well, two years ago, I ran for the House seat in District 34. Okay. And this is the Senate, and so it is, uh, yeah, my second time around. Oh, I thought
0: you had ran a few more times than that. Nope. That oh. Was, uh,
1: I'm pretty novice as far as running for any office. And, and so, yeah, technically, this is uh, my second time.
0: I watched, do you mind pulling that microphone into you? Yeah. Just take and just keep it about right here. Um, I watched you at a cracker barrel, must have been the cycle before this a couple of years ago. And boy, you sound like someone who's been running for long. Maybe that's the lawyer well, in you, you're just good in a room that way.
1: Well, thank you. I, I try to present myself well for my clients, and it's <clears throat> a little bit difficult, uh, different and difficult when you have uh, uh, basically, it was an arena not fully occupied, but there were a lot of people in uh, the the space there at the Western Dakota Tech building. And to uh, get up and present the issues that you think are important for your district, it wasn't all that easy, but at the same time, I had some passion.
0: Yeah, well, I like passion is a good way to put it, you know, Uh, healthy passion. I think there's a lot of unhealthy passion in politics right now, and it was it's good to see healthy passion. Well, so let's start with the basics here. Why are you running? Uh,
1: South Dakota needs a two-party, strong two-party state, needs a uh, system. We have, <clears throat> you know, a strong Republican Party. Yep. We don't necessarily have a strong Democratic Party, and I, I think it needs to uh, to be strong. It needs to have candidates, and so I put my name on the ballot so that people would have a choice and it is uh, kind of like a courtroom you go to the courtroom when only one side has an attorney uh, the other side's at a disadvantage yeah. and you don't you know the 12 jurors aren't going to necessarily get the truth so it's important for uh, the voters in south dakota to, to hear opposing views and uh, how's that going to happen what well, it's going to happen when people run for office
0: yeah i agree with that um that's a great answer man there's not it like that's a hard. that's the hardest dumbest question I think we ask and that's a pretty good answer uh okay let's get into some topics here that are kind of these are these are the topics we're asking all of the uh, district candidates um so being a Democrat uh, on this side of the fence this um, is a little harder to answer in the state at times but what's your position on the second amendment
1: I, I own guns we hunt my wife and I hunt we uh, have our kids hunt not against guns, uh, in favor of our constitutional rights, but there are extremes. Yeah. And so uh, I'm not an NRA member. My father was, and then he disassociated himself from the NRA decades ago, even before they started taking money from Russia. So. <laughs> Good, good answer, good line. Oh, I like that. It's it's fun to, when you
0: guys come in and mix it up a little bit. Um, yeah, I, you know, the Second Amendment is a tough one. Like that's probably the 7,000th time you've been asked that question in a District Thirty Four race, and we have to put it on every question. But sure. by and large, I, I think it's one of those things that doesn't really. Like, by the time you get to Pierre, there's not a lot of Second Amendment conversations. I don't and, think so. You know, it's just the reality of it. And that's not me being left mm-hmm. or right in one way or the other, because I need to stay pretty in the middle on these interviews. But
1: It is somewhat a litmus, litmus test as to who you are, where you're from, what you know, what, what are you
0: about? To me, it's less about right and left and more about upper Midwest. Yeah. We all grew up in South Dakota with guns and hunting and the whole thing, it, you know. Um,
1: absolutely it's uh, we're in a different uh <clears throat> demographic where guns are i think much more accepted and we we don't have the metropolitan areas that you know walking down a dark alley we're concerned about it um on the other side though guns are so available that you know we still have schools and we still have um you know nutty people <laughs> that can take you know people's lives out with you know real quick like with a gun yeah so
0: it's i mean it's a conversation that needs to continue to happen for sure um i to me i'm, I'm my i mean if you listen to this political podcast that this won't surprise you <clears> of <throat> the this interview is more this show was created to keep all of the bold nonsense out right and just to like we can bring candidates in we can talk about things like second amendment no one's going to jump on anybody everyone's going to be able to hear both sides and then we can i mean that's the only way you can actually get concessions we don't by the time we're toddlers we don't get everything we want why does all of a sudden this arena have to be different that's where my republican friends all call me a rhino (laughs) um okay so like let's talk about the elephant in the room or one of them this year which is covid so like where's What's your position on the state's reaction so far? As as far and that, and I don't mean that as a is known thumbs up, thumbs down. It's not as binary as that. But just what can the state be doing better, and what should the state be doing
1: different? <clears throat> I'm not a scientist. I I not ex uh, you know actually well studied on the issue. My my ideas though, my um, opinion is is that. Essentially, allowed during the rally, two hundred, three hundred thousand people from out of state to come in, and that has, I think, contributed to the 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 steep uh, increase in cases since. I mean, you can look at the graphs um, and correlate it to that time period. You know, maybe a two-week lag period from the rally. Uh, not against you know the rally. I just that. It was something that most other businesses uh, have um, have, I, I guess, took one, f- f- you know, for the gipper and cut back, and and yet, for some reason, the rally um, was, you know, exceptional. They thought that that was okay, and I I don't know if it was. So,
0: yeah, I think I think that's a time deal for sure. Um, let's get into some ballot issues we have initiated. Let's talk about the can, cannabis and marijuana stuff first. So there's initiated measure 26, which is for medical marijuana. Uh, and then there's constitutional amendment a, which is for recreationally legalizing marijuana. Do you have a position on either one of those?
1: Uh, um, I leave it up to the voters. I think that um, it's good that it's on the ballot. It's been on the, you know, the ballot before, but this is, I think, a pretty good, uh, strong effort for those in favor of it. And personally, I'm not against it. Uh, it, I do a lot of courtroom uh, defense work. Well, I did
0: want to ask, like, as a as taking the politics out of it for a second, which is hard, and this is a political podcast. Do you, as a as with your legal profession, does that indicate one way or the other on 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 it being a good idea, bad idea?
1: Well. <clears throat> I think those who are are opposed to it believe that will it will lead to more drug usage, and I, I, I mean, we've got a meth epidemic. You know, just ask the governor. We're on it. <laughs> <And so laughs> We're on it. That you know has not. Uh, I think uh, uh, I guess per capita or or statistically, we haven't been able to fight that you know, by limiting our law, or, you know, making our laws more uh, stringent, more restrictive on use of uh, controlled substances. I'm not for opening controlled substances, but I think marijuana is an exception. Uh, I used to be a prosecutor, and I don't know how many hundreds of cases I prosecuted, DUI cases. Um, Maybe there was one or two that were uh, just related to marijuana use. Sure. Where somebody was under the influence and it, it affected their driving, and they got convicted for a DUI. But uh, the, the, the having that as an alternative for those people who apparently want to self-medicate and escape is so much better than mm-hmm. meth. Yes. Uh, we've got you know alcohols is legal uh we've allowed gambling in uh this state and i'm, I'm not just to say that you know laissez-faire you know ever let everybody do what they want to do at the same time i, I think that <clears throat> there's there is a contrast between the effects of marijuana use in and, and alcohol and alcohol uh is a much bigger problem. Meth is a much bigger problem than marijuana use.
0: Uh you mentioned gambling, so let's why don't we lean right into constitutional amendment B and do you have a you have I'm, a side one way or the other on Amendment B?
1: I'm for it. I used to manage a casino in Deadwood. I did not know that. Yeah. The first yeah. gold hotel was No kidding. First manager. You were the first manager yep. of the first gold hotel in Deadwood. Yep. Nin- I had no idea about that. Nineteen ninety to ninety three
0: Wow those were kind of crazy times then too that was pretty
1: exciting yeah because yeah.
0: when did it what was the, what when did it pass was it, that it n- opened, 90
1: right it opened uh November of 89 okay you had calamity Janes, and uh, which turned into the gold dust uh, but the first original casino was open in November of 89 no kidding I think it passed on the ballot in 88 okay I'm was- excited.
0: I remember the button. Vaguely, like that red and white button. Yep. That,
1: um. It was due to the FL Thorpe building burning down. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which uh, was a a fire in 87, I believe. I was in town that day, that night. Um,
0: so. (coughs) Wild man, uh, Mr. Wildman Walsh was.
1: He was He was was running the.
0: Yeah, he he was, was was he was doing the deal. I used to be a, that was one of my first jobs when I moved out here. I was a server at the, what was that restaurant called? The 1903
1: Diner? Uh. Yeah. Dirty Nellies. Dirty Nellies
0: bartender down there a little mm-hmm. bit too. Yeah. That's I think that's what all the Black Hill State kids come out here when they move out here, at least back in the day. Um, okay. Do you have a position? Um so there was a 2019 report published in the US News and World Report that South Dakota ranked um, about 10 in the nation for higher education, but ranked 23rd in the nation for K through twelve what there's been a lot of education bills in peer over the last few years. What's, what's, what's the next steps and plans?
1: Uh, I think, you know, pre-K funding is important and we don't have it. We're one of the very few States that are, that's not, uh, um, putting something in place for pre-kindergarten education. And it, is something that would be attractive to so many uh parents in the state because uh, if they're not in you know at home with the parents which we've got a a fairly low income state most people work most parents work and that means they're 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 gone from eight to four eight to five and the kids are at daycare so the kids are uh, at daycare, and there's nothing uh, that is uniform throughout the state where if you had pre-K education, you had something uniform where there's structure and uh, substantive learning going on, it, I think the studies indicate that as kids grow older, they have an advantage, those who have had a, a substantive program prior to kindergarten and so that's one area that i think we can easily
0: do you I, upon. I, just a quick follow-up on that just because i'm a little bit of a dummy in this stuff what are they when what's pre-k is that is there a defined like four
1: one year one year of, ahead yeah, okay one year prior to-
0: do you have any what's that cost what's something like that cost i, have, I don't and i'm not asking that to that's not a tax question back at you, that's an honest, I, I, you know, one of the things I want to do in this podcast is maybe slow down on some of these stuff and go, okay, what does something like that cost?
1: Sure. Uh, I don't know. Okay. And uh, I guess the the other question is, what does it cost not to do it?
0: Well, where's the opportunity missed on something like that? And then on top of that, how, like, I think, you know, it's probably something like, obviously it's millions to do something like that, right? And I think when people hear some generic 27 million, 110 million, whatever the million is, I don't think the day in and day out person can fathom how little that might be or how, you know, what in reality to compare to K through 12 or higher education, like it's all millions. Yeah. And so, I, you know, this is a social media thing. We take memes and we take clips and we take headlines and we go, see, I told you you were wrong. And I think part of this podcast is. Well, let's, when we can, slow down and talk
1: about this stuff a little bit.
0: Um, That's a good note, though. That's something I'll bring in in future conversations.
1: Yeah. You know, it's always, you know, it raises the question, how is it going to be paid for? Yeah. Where is the money going to come from? Unfunded
0: mandates and the whole
1: deal. Yeah. How much is it going to cost, and how is it going to be paid for? So, um, that, yeah. Then, the other contra though, is what's it costing already in the... Parents who are putting kids into daycare, you know, is that cost effective? If there was another year of education, is that more beneficial to society, to those people, our uh, residents, than people putting the kids to daycare?
0: Right. Um, so in that same 2019 U.S. News and World Report, um. Study that was published, South Dakota. The South Dakota economy came in ranked at twenty-seven, and I don't know how that sits as far as how they define necessarily the economy because I don't have this report sitting in front of me. But just generally speaking on the economy, let's turn this question into a version of this: like, what's, where's our growth coming in the next years in our economy, and then what do we need to be concerned about? What is there downsides? that we that are you know is a recession on the way or you know i mean that's a little impossible to predict but like you're in charge okay not just 34 but it's your economy where do we need to invest into and then what do we need to be watching out for sure
1: um <clears throat> for district 34 what would be advantageous i think for district 34 and rapid city if is if <clears throat> we had completed the heartland express uh the north south corridor that for thoroughfare from the canadian border down to denver uh, i think would have and hopefully does but the timeline is so uncertain and as to why it's not being um, pursued aggressively is beyond me but that thoroughfare north south would give us uh, put us on uh, an equal footing with sioux falls yeah you have a north-south corridor in Sioux Falls, I-29, and then the east-west, I-90. And that has helped Sioux Falls become a, a very progressive economically uh, part of our state. Sure. The, the best. Shipping. Absolutely. It's transportation. The sh- it's, it's
0: transportation in and out. So for those of you who might not know, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm a little bit of a dummy on this too, the Heartland Express was,
1: when, would this, when did that start? Do you remember? Well, I was. Uh, I think it originated when Daschle was in office, but not the majority leader. He became minority leader. Uh, you know, part and that'd of that'd be late nineties, right? Probably late nineties. Yeah, early two thousands. Yeah, yeah, and 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 so we we had some uh, completion. You know, we've got you know. Highway 79, going south to Hot Springs, and then that would connect to the interstate up to Sturgis, and then my understanding, you know, you would take Highway 85, pretty much make that into the four four lane, up to the North Dakota border, and North Dakota would finish it to the Canadian border, which had we done it, you know, late 1990s, early 2000s, prior to the the boom in the Bakken oil Oh, field. my goodness,
0: imagine that. The, what a difference that would have made.
1: Because otherwise, it, as it is, or what happened was, I mean, that our highway, secondary highway got all torn up, and they continue, you know, North Dakota, they put a lot of money in their highway system. would have been, you know, very logical to have done that as a four-lane all the way from the north to the south of um, essentially, ideally, Canadian border to the Mexican border.
0: Yeah. Or at least the Canadian border to Denver. Just connecting, to Denver. connecting you know, Winnipeg to Denver and a four-lane highway going through us. It's not a right-left thing. That's just
1: good business. It's economic. Huge. Economic development. Uh, the other area, you know, the Medicaid expansion was uh, something that we've <clears throat> really have passed on, unfortunately, but it's not too late. And District 34 has a lot of health care workers. We've got a hospital that is nonprofit. And so every week they have, they provide um, uncompensated health care.
0: About a million bucks a week on yeah. the last, I, that's, a, that's an unverified source, but I'm on the dartboard there just because we work with Region or Monument mm-hmm. as well, you know. Um, yeah, it's about a million a week.
1: So it's beyond me as to why, uh, especially my opponent, is not advocating strongly for that. And he works for Monument Health. I don't understand that. It's uh, I, you know I can speculate, but I'm, I'm not going to share with you my speculation. Well, I, this
0: is a speculation-free podcast <laughs> as much as possible, at least. <laughs> yeah. Yes.
1: And so you know we we've foregoing something like that. Two two examples of economic development that I think well, just the Medicaid expansion alone would have meant hundreds of millions of dollars to Rapid City. And you have people working at the hospital that aren't getting the the raises that they should be, uh, despite being in a an industry that is growing and growing and in high demand, and uh, it, it is oh, educated.
0: It must, must already be the. I mean, I'm almost sure this is true. The largest West River employer. It is okay. Um, you, you took that, actually, I had a Medicaid expansion question oh. on here next, so I'm glad you got that for us. Perfect. Um, let's maybe pivot from economy to budget. So where, and I'll ask it a little bluntly, but I know it's not this binary. What needs to be increased and what needs to be trimmed?
1: Increases, uh, especially now with the COVID-19, uh, are going to be needed for the schools. And we have, uh, I think we, hundred or 1.25 billion dollars that was allocated for the COVID, the CARES through the CARES Act for the state, and uh, 500 million of that was uh, distributed or put aside for I think business grants and so forth, which is fine. Uh, Makes me a little suspicious. How do you get a business grant? From the state, I know how to talk
0: on a microphone. I have no idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I was
1: kind of okay. Who's going to get it? Who's going to get? How's that going to be divvied out? All that criteria is is going to be, to me, haphazardly put together in a short period of time. And they you know, I think it's uh, going to be susceptible to a lot of mistakes. Versus, all right, we got local government. Uh, some local government county government that have had tax revenue decreases due to the the downturn and those uh revenue source those <clears throat> governments w- that are in, in need of that funding is to me would be a good use you know some of the money's gone to law enforcement already yeah so uh, i think that uh shortfall is going to become evident, but the money's there, the 1.25, and it's got to be used up by the end of this year. So it's it's a question of um, how it's going to get allocated, you know, who's going to decide. And basically, the, you know, the Republicans, Republicans are going to decide. I don't think the school districts are going to uh, get what they need due, you know, to the cost that they're incurring with the – Level one, level two, level three, types of you know uh, attendance plans that you know that's our, that's related to the COVID nineteen uh, pandemic. So that <clears throat> issue is, um, I think this one year is somewhat unique. The money's there.
0: It's surely unique. I mean, that's a <laughs> my goodness. Yeah,
1: and then what's going to happen next year? Uh, uncertain because the economics could get worse, could get better. We don't know.
0: Um, so let's pivot back to specifically 34. You know, um, you had, in, you mentioned in the beginning of this interview, you know, there needs to be a two party system and that's why you're running, but like past left, right. What's 34 need? What's, what's the specific issues that
1: that hit faces? I mean, I live yeah. in 34, so I yeah. mean, this is, you know, uh, well, the three main areas of, of employment, or tourism, the base, and the hospital, in thirty four. Well, yeah, I probably, probably much, everywhere I suppose thirty four yeah. Western South Dakota. Yeah. you know, you may, you know, one could argue. Well, Wall, uh, you've got eastern part of uh, Pennington County; those districts that are affected by ranching, sure, more ag production ag culture. Production, but I think in Rapid City itself, you know, where we've got a huge number of, uh, a large portion of our population, they're basically in below the poverty level. <clears throat> we need to figure out how our industries are going to grow to in, for our incomes to increase. And Rapid City was one of the few areas in the state, you know, between 2010, 2016, the state's uh, average income increased Eight percent. Ours went down something like four point six percent. Really, it's just Rapid City. So you know why is that? I'm not sure. Are sure. We, are we getting you know uh, more people that come in, transients, and that you know dilutes our income? Maybe part of it, but I don't think our incomes are increasing because we don't have the ideal industries. We've got the military base and we got tourism. Two thirds of our Income, our economy, is uh, basically low income positions. Sure. Military, you know, they get benefits and they get paid. Uh, tourism, you know, what we talk Those are about hourly jobs. Wage. Yeah. yeah. So the healthcare industry is the, you know, the industry that is uh, that has the ability to really thrive and make a difference with through the multiplier effect. I think. If those people in that health, in the healthcare industry is making are making more, it would spread, and that affects 34. Um, when you know, so you know, what else could there be uh, as far as affecting 34? We, um, it's you know, 34 goes out there from Red Rocks. Uh, it's kind of gerrymandered. We got Sheridan Lake Road, west of Sheridan Lake Road to Pine Dale Meadowbrook. Stevens um, and, and goes up to west yeah in 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 is <clears throat> kind of the west part south southwest in some of it's affluent some of it's middle class um, you got a small portion that's you know probably uh, the lower end of the income, yep. but that area uh is Getting older, I mean we've got a, grow, a, a, you know, a some growth going on in a number of uh, f- you know families moving south in our uh, you know, countryside and so forth and Red rocks. but uh, so there's there's a, a burden on the, the infrastructure on the schools and so forth because we're kind of spread out. And I don't know, you know, the organization, the planning of it. It's not easy, uh, but we're going to have, we need some long-term planning to figure out what's going to be in District 34's best interest on that local level. And does peer control that control that? Probably not. No, it doesn't.
0: And it's always a hard question to ask in these because no. it's a lot of city and county things that you don't really have a lot of control over, but...
1: Uh, you know, property taxes are a big issue. Uh, everybody complains about how much we pay in property taxes, but we're, you know, last decade, South Dakota's ranked the you know, last two or three of the states in the country as far as the burden per capital. I mean, we just... We don't <clears> it. Well, d-
0: it, This just came up. I saw so I, I um, sent the foundation board of Black Hills Works, and they're going over the same. Not, there's not a political conversation in the middle of this. It's just the statistical reality. One of the downsides of having such a low tax base here in Rapid City is services like Black Hills Works, it's harder to fund them, especially in years where you know, it's 2020. Yes. There's less money for that kind of stuff. And there, and it seems like that will continue.
1: And the school, uh, you know, the capital outlay for the school district the buildings and so forth that infrastructure you know that was put up to a bond issue and didn't pass Um, but it's not going to go away no it's just you can't continue to have kids in the hallways trying to play orchestra instruments or um, learning science and so that if we continue to grow which is what we want uh, we need to figure out how to provide the services that are going to be needed for more people that we have. Um,
0: Let's do one more. I mean, it's local and it, and it's surely not necessarily under peers control. I agree with this, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a rapid city issue for sure. And 34 sits in that. So the, so there's a lot of talk right now about the homeless people in rapid city and that number is growing. Um, You know, I, I, I think, we would like to ask it more tied to a mental health question because that then also covers some statewide stuff. So, like, you're elected, and mental health is a topic that is going to be in in the session next winter. What, where do we start? What do we do?
1: Yeah, the, uh, the homeless in Rapid City. Uh, the percentage, you know, how many, what percentage is affected by mental health? Not, I don't know. No idea. I don't. But, I'm, I'm but sure it's, it's high. Yeah. Well, to me, if if you have not, I would say, more than likely, if you're not able to provide your own residence, own living you know, basic needs. accommodation, basic needs. More than likely, it, it's attributed to uh, obviously the environment uh, you grew up in. Therefore, some emotional uh, issues, there's some defects there, your personality perhaps, substance abuse, substance dependency. And those handicaps that some of these homeless people have uh, need to be addressed. And so how do we do that? Do we um, try to provide more facilities and, and therefore, we end up – Making Rapid City a haven, a lot of people are afraid of that, but I think we we are trying to do that responsibly, and and it's to the you know the betterment of everybody when we provide a facility across from the public safety building that is there to uh, f- for people who have certain criteria that are. You know there's hope for some of you know for the you know the people that are admitted there have a de- desire to better themselves and and they just need a a stepping stone to provide that it, i think is uh of you know we have to show our humanity and we have to provide it we have to as a community help those um, it, but you know is it a matter of degree how far do we go with that sure it's
0: it's so it's it's the hardest out of all of these questions. I think it's one of the hardest to solve because it's really talking about two deals. It's empathy, which is required, and I mean, I hate to put it this way, but you know, dollars and cents, common sense, and there's and there's a fluid line.
1: It, I first came out here in 1990. Uh, to you know, work at the state's attorney's office. The jail was a 60 cell capacity jail, and um, since then we've multiplied that by 10 times. No kidding. Yeah, that, you know, jail capacity is about 600, I believe. Now uh, we built it, and they came. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, you never
0: hear. You never hear if you build it, they will come. Described as far as, as jails go, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting.
1: So, no, it, it, when we had the capacity, the idea, what I recall, why we wanted to have such a large jail was, was to make it self-funding because we would uh, house the, those who were inmates from other counties or from the federal system, which we do to a certain degree, but in, we'd get paid for it. Mm-hmm. The county would get paid for it. Well, um, and, you know, n- Naturally, what happens is it, you're in court and somebody uh, has committed a crime and it's, it's maybe a violent crime or even a crime that um, the person has committed before and a lesson needs to be learned. And there's room next door. What's going to happen? Our judges are going to put that person in jail because the facility is available. Yep. There's room. Versus when I first came out here 30 years ago, you had a 60-cell jail when there wasn't room. You had triaged that a little bit. <laughs> you know, Judge Davis would come down in the morning, Sunday morning, and uh, decide, okay, who gets out, who doesn't. No kidding. And Just kind gets, of
0: single-handedly adjudicate it. Well, yeah. This really? is this
1: person's bond condition, and we're going to allow, uh, we, you know, this. Well, that could be treacherous. Well, typically it was alcohol-related. Sure. You know? And obviously, the violent people were not going to be let loose. And let like, all the
0: drunks out of the tank in the morning, kind of a deal.
1: But now we we've got the capacity. We have people who have had committed crimes that are alcohol related, and you know, perhaps or, you know, even like shoplifting and so forth, intoxicated, um, sit in jail for days, days, and. Um, and maybe there's a you know reason why they can't get out. Maybe they don't make their court appearances. Maybe uh, you know they uh, truly you know can't. They don't have the money to post. You know if there is a cash bond required, and so they sit and sit because there's room. Yeah. So it's there was a consequence, um, and I'm not sure. I don't know what I haven't studied it. I haven't looked into it as to. Whether or not the original goals of our jail have um, come to fruition, are we doing what they plan, or is it or what are the unintended consequences and all of that? Sure.
0: Um, Well, that's an interesting way to look at it. Well, that's a a, surely a legal perspective of it all. You know,
1: judiciary and um, you know, we we assume that responsibility in. I guess we got to pay for it. Uh, Taxpayers pay for it. Our law enforcement budget is Mm huge—thirty, forty million dollars a year. So, uh, you know, we want security. We we want safety. Um, And part of that, though, is locking people up. Do we? uh, It's a. It's a question for the judiciary. It's also, you know, perhaps a political question, though, with the um you know, you know how fair are we with the penalties penalties that we impose for the types of crimes that we have that are on our on our you know in the books in the statutes are we uh, too harsh and that ultimately is costing us more i don't know
0: interesting well i've never heard that answered that way um uh, so we kind of you know the last little bit here is a closing statement you can say whatever you like and if you got an elevator pitch or if you have something you want to we haven't talked about that you want to cover the next however long is yours
1: okay i'll just close uh george nelson from uh i live out in red rocks i've been an attorney here in the hills area since 1986 I have a family, two of my kids are in college. I have still, uh, our youngest, our son is in high school, he goes to Stevens High School. Came out here to be a a prosecutor, I was a prosecutor. I went into business as a casino manager. I also became corporate counsel for a public gaming company. I worked for Bruce Lee, Concord Gaming, did that for a number of years and then I hung up my a shingle to be a uh, sole practitioner attorney, and I've done that since 2000. I think that we here in Western South Dakota have the best place in the state to live and keeping the water clean, air clean, uh, our natural resources uh, uncontaminated, <clears throat> our force uh, used. Uh, available to the public I think those things are important and we'll pay dividends in the long run and those are the, the, I think the natural resources the the that we can get dividends off of in the future by ma- maintaining those but also the people our people in, in uh, Rapid City we're hard workers we have uh, just the uh, you know a, the, the best setting and we need to capitalize on where we're at in the state in comparison to what's in between here and Sioux Falls. And we should be, I think, doing what we could or can and doing more to make it more attractive. And how do we do that? Uh, we, we, I think, improve our educational system. We try to provide for Uh, pre-k we ensure that our environment stays uh, clean and safeguarded i think those things for western south dakota are important and you know like most other other parts of the state but if we we, if we can do that i think we'll ensure a better future for everybody
0: mr george nelson thank you for coming on i
1: would like to say too before
0: we sign off um there are races, we're trying to do as many of these interviews as we can. And I really admire the way both sides of this have a level of civility for each other. That doesn't mean you don't disagree on a wild array of issues, but I, I compliment 34 on both sides on their ability to make it not a plague on both houses.
1: We haven't had the forums that we did two years ago because of the COVID-19. Uh, but you know, even two years ago, both parties, I thought, or <clears throat> I think very professional. I in agree. Trying to present their their positions and that's carried over. Unlike what we may see nationwide, oh boy. In, you know, nationwide nothing. We're in other districts, yeah. not that far away from us. Yeah. No, you know, and so no, I I appreciate that. Yeah, no, yeah.
0: that's that means a lot. Um, yeah, this I, that's personally to me, but yeah, it's how things get better. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's how actual things get done. I, Dusty was sitting in that chair last week, and he had a good line about it. I'm not trying to win. I'm trying to solve problems. And I know that's a line, it's and it's a campaign year, but, man, that resonated. It yep. really did.
1: And I think he's sincere.
0: Yeah, I think he means he it, absolutely. So, you know, yeah,
1: I hope most politicians. I mean, it's
0: easy in his race when you're going to win by 7,000%. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I get, I get that you can do that in those cases, but it's still nice. You know, No one had to. You know what I mean? Like, you guys exactly. are, are, get along pretty well. You don't have to. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I appreciate that. Mr. George Nelson, he is uh, the Democratic candidate for District 34 Senate, and uh, you can listen to more of these. Just search for Dakota Town Hall on your favorite podcast player. Uh, you can also go to homesliceaudio.com, and thank you again for Elevate Rapid City for uh, supporting this podcast as well, and we'll see you guys on the next episode.
1: Oh, do you want me to do a byline here? I then? do, but
0: I'd like you or-
1: to re-